This is really, I think it's going to be, I'm not sure, the capstone of our series. I'm not going to do any recap tonight. If you're curious about why do be and what that means, you can find that online, all the podcasts at citylifeva.com. We always put the notes on there. Also, the message is recorded there. Uh, We started digging last week into this parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we're kind of renaming uh, the parable of uncommon love. And I, I, I want to read that parable again. Uh, tonight. It begins uh, in verse 29 of Luke 10. Luke 10, 29. It says, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Now by chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Now a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. But then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him, and the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bills run higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? And Jesus asked, and the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. I love this. Then Jesus says, yes, now and go do the same. What we're saying is what this Samaritan man did is it's uncommon love. What Christ calls us to is to not just love the way the rest of the world loves, but to love in a way that is uncommon. To love in a way that, that creates curiosity. To love in a way that demonstrates something that's hard to find in this world and to do it towards people that maybe the rest of the world would think would be undeserving. Last week we talked about how uncommon love makes room and we spent a lot of time talking about the racial tension that existed between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. We use that as a parallel to talk about the political tension that happens in Christian churches today. And I want to I pick up tonight by talking about three, three more. And the first one is this, is that uncommon love stops. That uncommon love stops. And what does this mean? It it means that there are going to be times in our lives where we're on the way to do something else and the Holy Spirit is going to interrupt our day. And it can be frustrating if you're a task-oriented person like myself. Uncommon love is not a human impulse. It is only and always a Holy Spirit prompting. Now we're not saying that Love can't sometimes be a human impulse because it most certainly can. But the kind of love Jesus is talking about, he's saying if it were not for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we would be humanly incapable of loving to the degree that he calls us to. Listen to Galatians 5, 16 to 17. It says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires 
that are the opposite of what the sinful nature, nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. There should be a prompting that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives that causes us at times during our day to stop because he's got plans for us to care for others in uncommon ways. I love in Luke 10, 33, listen to where the story turns. It says, then a despised Samaritan, he's despised because he's despised by the people that Jesus is talking to. He, the despised man came along and when he saw the man, listen to what it says, he felt compassion for him. Now, when you take this text and put it with the text in Galatians, what we know that Jesus is talking about is there are moments where the Holy Spirit comes into our moments and directs us to feel a certain way. The Holy Spirit, more often than not, speaks through the language of virtue. Let me read that again. The Holy Spirit, more often than not, speaks through the language of of virtue. You might say, you might say, well, I'm not sure I've ever felt God's voice. And, and, and my suggestion is, I bet you felt it more than you have. You just didn't realize it was him. That when virtue wells up inside of us, that is uncommon. When virtue wells up inside of us, sometimes it maybe even catches ourselves off guard. Oftentimes, that's the Holy Spirit moving us in a way to demonstrate uncommon love to our world. For many of us, we experience this long before we even become a devoted follower of Christ. Just because the Holy Spirit's not living inside of us doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit's not present in our lives. Now, we know that when we make a vow of devotion to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. But long before that moment, the presence of God is still in this world wherever we go. And oftentimes in our lives, even before we make a vow of devotion to Christ, we begin to experience the prompting and the leading of our father. I remember for me when I was bartending and having graduated from college and trying to figure out what I was going to do and I was bartending at a restaurant in downtown Richmond living with some friends uh, down in Chaco Bottom and you know we, you would get off you know early in the wee hours of the of the morning and, and as you're closing down uh, being the the uh, honest person that I was uh, I would often uh, steal a sandwich out of the kitchen from the restaurant where I worked. And so they had this certain sandwich there called a grinder. And, and uh, it's, a, it's like an Italian sub. Uh, it's got jalapenos on it. It's absolutely delicious. And they would pre-make those, and they would be in the refrigerator. And so oftentimes, I was a bar back then, and, and oftentimes the barbacks would, would find, we would find our way into the kitchen and grab something for our late-night snack as we were, as we were going home. And, and as I was walking through the streets of downtown Richmond back to my car, right, the streets are empty. Nobody's out there. I, uh, I walked by, and I noticed there was a homeless man sleeping inside of a doorway, and I had this sandwich tucked into my into my jacket, and uh, and all of a sudden I just I, I I felt this prompting: give give that sandwich to that man. And and I kid you not, the, I just, I didn't even I didn't stop. I just I kept walking, and 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 what I said to this voice, which I thought was just my own impulse, was let him find his own sandwich. This one is mine. Right? Terrible, isn't it? Shameful. 
And I think back to that moment in, in, in my life, right, as, as Chris was talking tonight, I so appreciated that moment where he invited us to step into this moment of spontaneously just thanking God for who he rescued us to be. I'm so thankful that he rescued me from the ugliness of the life that I used to live, the selfishness of who I was. And in that moment, as I look back, I realize that wasn't my impulse. That was the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life trying to help me to see the kind of life that I was supposed to live. And it was later on that very summer where God began to work on my heart and I ended up making a vow of devotion to Christ. And I don't wonder if it didn't start right there in that moment of feeling him speak to me. Because the Holy Spirit more often than not speaks through the language of virtue. I love that when we look into the story of the life of Jesus, we find him showing up more often than not in people's everyday lives more than he does than a religious setting. When you look in John chapter 2 at the wedding of Cana in Galilee, we find him showing up in people's social life. When you look at the miraculous catch in John 21, you find Jesus showing up in people's work life. When you look at Luke 5 as the paralytics being lowered through the roof of someone's house, you find him showing up in people's home life. I think this is an important part of the story of the life of Jesus because Jesus is trying to help us to understand that he wants to be present in all of the moments in our lives. My, one of my questions to you tonight, are you only looking for God to speak to you and direct you when you're in traditionally religious settings? Do, do, as, as you come into an environment like this, the idea of God speaking to you or leading you or directing you or even hearing people talking about such things, it doesn't surprise you because there's a natural expectation that you have that those are the kinds of things that happen in religious settings. But most of Jesus' life and ministry did not happen in religious settings. And I think he did it that way on purpose because he's trying to help you and I to see that we should look for him in our everyday life. I love that the parable of the Good Samaritan is happening as people are traveling. People are just out on their day. And I think part of this idea of uncommon love that we're supposed to walk in and demonstrate as devoted followers of Christ is that, is that we're looking for the interruption and the redirection of the Holy Spirit in our day as we're going about the normal routine of our lives. That uncommon love stops. In the sense that you're not so busy that I'm not so focused on the tasks at hand that I miss the prompting and the whisper of the Holy Spirit in regards to something that he wants me to do. Uncommon love is willing to stop, to pay a price, to redirect your schedule, to be willing to be late to something or to have to postpone an errand to another day because you are a willing participant with God's plan to love this world in an uncommon way. The Holy Spirit speaks to us in the language of virtue. And it is those feelings of virtue that often give us pause in our day. And my encouragement to you is to look for those. 
Because it could be that you're supposed to be a part of someone's story, just like this parable that Jesus is teaching 2,000 years ago. Uncommon love stops. Let me give you another one. Uncommon love goes. Uncommon love stops. Uncommon love goes. When the Holy Spirit causes us to feel something, it always leads to going somewhere. Let me say that again. When the Holy Spirit causes us to feel something, it always leads to going somewhere. Let me read these verses out of the parable, 31 to 34. It says, By chance a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. But then it says the despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Right, This is the stopping moment. And then going over, right, this is the going moment. He stops, right, the Holy Spirit prompts him, and then he goes over to him, and the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he puts him on the donkey and takes him to the end where he took care of him. Uncommon love ghosts. See, in the story, what we see is that the priest comes along. And I love how Jesus picks people that you would think would be the people that would do the right thing. And, and the priest, he comes along, he's walking, he's going down the road, he comes upon, by chance, this man who is in desperate need. And the way that the Jesus tells the story, he does not even miss a step. He just steps around, crosses to the other side of the street, and keeps on going. There's not, even a, there's not even a stopping moment. So then the temple assistant comes by, who is someone else, who you would think, a religious person, that they would do the right thing. And the, and the, and the idea is that, that is the temple assistant comes, they stop, and they notice the person, but there's no prompting inside of them to act in any way. Whether we don't know if it was curiosity, we don't know if 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 they were they were suspicious that it was some entrapment that they were going to be mugged, right? And but but the but there's there's this there's there's a stopping. There's a difference between stopping because you're thinking and you're curious, compared to stopping because God's speaking to you about getting involved. God wants us to get involved with the world that is around us to touch the parts of our world that are hurting and to do it in ways that surprise others. He comes, he stops, and he passes over and he keeps going. But the Samaritan, it's different. As the Samaritan is walking that same path, he feels compassion. There's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an encounter with the Holy Spirit. There's this moment where, where he feels as though he's supposed to get involved. And then after stopping, he goes to him and he gets close enough to him to make a difference. If you've not seen the movie Harriet Tubman yet, you're missing out. What an incredible picture. Listen to this little recap of her life. It says, born into slavery in Maryland, Harriet Tubman escaped to freedom in the North in 1849 to become the most famous conductor on the Underground Railroad. Tubman risked her life to lead hundreds of family members and other slaves from the plantation system to freedom on this elaborate secret network of safe houses. 
A leading abolitionist before the American Civil War, Tubman also helped the the Union Army during the war, working as a spy, among other roles. Tubman's date of birth is unknown, although it probably occurred between 1820 and 1825. She was one of nine children born between 1808 and 1832 to enslaved parents in Dorchester County, Maryland. Between 1850 and 1860, Tubman, listen to this, made 19 trips from the south to the north following the network known as the Underground Railroad. She got it. Here comes more than 300 people, including her parents and several siblings from slavery to freedom, earning the nickname Moses. Come on, how great is that for her leadership? Tubman first encountered the Underground Railroad when she used it to escape slavery herself in 1849. Making use of the Underground Railroad, Tubman traveled nearly 90 miles to Philadelphia. Right? This is by herself, on foot, no provisions, by herself. The fact that she survived that journey in and of itself is miraculous. So she crossed into the free state of Pennsylvania with a feeling of relief and awe and recalled later. Listen to what it says. When I found I had crossed that line, I looked at my hands to see if I was the same person. There was such a glory over everything. The sun came like gold through the trees and over the fields, and I felt like I was in heaven. But rather than remaining in the safety of the north, come on, Tubman made it her mission to rescue her family and others living in slavery via the Underground Railroad. I want to talk to you about something I'm calling the proximity principle. It's getting close enough to make a difference means getting close enough to get hurt. Getting close enough to make a difference means getting close enough to be hurt. That moment in the movie, it's so powerful where she goes to the person in Philadelphia who's her kind of contact with the Underground Railroad and says, I'm, I'm going back to get more people. And they just, they laugh at her. Like, this is, this is impossible. You, it's, it's miraculous that you made it those 90 to 100 miles by yourself. There's no way that you're going to be able to go back and then come back and bring others. Because that's what uncommon love doesn't do. See, uncommon love doesn't stay where it's safe. Uncommon love doesn't resist the prompting of the Holy Spirit because it's going to cost us something. Uncommon love doesn't say, you made it, be grateful. You don't have a responsibility to go back and help others. But Harriet Tubman believed in this idea of uncommon love. Harriet Tubman understood this idea that there's going to be moments and times in our lives where the Holy Spirit stops us, speaks to us, directs us, points us in a direction that's going to cause us to go in a way that's going to cost us something, where we've got to be willing to take risks for the benefit and the sake of others. Now, I talk first about this idea of uncommon love stops, because if you don't start there, you can buy into what we're not talking about tonight is that you, you, 
you begin to pursue things that are risky because you believe that just the idea of adventure is some way that you bring pleasure to God. We're not talking about that tonight. We're not talking about going out and being a risk taker for the sake of taking risks. What we're talking about is asking the question, is the Holy Spirit asking me to do something? And if the Holy Spirit's asking me to do something, then I've got to be willing to go to places when he stops me and prompts me to get involved, even if it means going and doing things that the rest of the world would say is foolish, I'm okay to do it because he directs it. Now, for most of us in this life, you're never going to have to take the kinds of risks that Harriet Tubman had to take that risked her physical well-being, but it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be times where God asks you to do something to take a chance with your heart. So this is where it might get real for some of you tonight. Is there a conversation with a family member that you've been avoiding? Maybe even at Thanksgiving as family were there that you experienced a moment where you know that that God was prompting you to to do something or to say something or to maybe there's a relationship in your family that's fractured and, and you just felt this nudging of the Holy Spirit to be the one that swallowed your pride instead of keep swallowing the pumpkin pie and pull someone aside and say you're sorry. But you didn't go there because you've been hurt before and you didn't want to get hurt again. And what I'm saying to you is that uncommon love, it doesn't just stop, but uncommon love goes. Uncommon love is willing to take a chance if the Holy Spirit is prompting and leading. It might get real for you in the sense that is there an objection at your workplace that you've been reluctant to raise? Is there an objection in your workplace? Are you in an environment where people are doing unethical things and more often than not, you've felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit in a respectful way to pull someone aside who's in a position of authority and to say this isn't right. But then you don't do it because there is a fear that it risks your livelihood. What I would say to you, this is what I would say to you, if the Holy Spirit is causing you to stop, then you've got to be willing to go. And that you've got to be willing to risk the consequence that comes with going if it began with a moment of stopping. Is there involvement here at City Life or whatever church you call home if you're visiting from out of town that you've been resisting? It might be that you would say, well, I've gotten involved with church before and I've always been disappointed. I've always been hurt. And my promise to you is that you're going to be disappointed and hurt here at the City Life Church. Because we're people. It's unavoidable. You can't be around people for any amount of time and not be disappointed in some way at some point. The question is how healthy communities deal with disappointment in a healthy way. If you're a part of a church family and and, and you're not connected in some way, if you're not serving in some way, oftentimes it's because you've been hurt before, you've been disappointed before, and so there's this feeling of if I isolate, I protect myself. And what I would say to you is you're only setting yourself up for more hurt in your future. 
being a devoted follower of Christ, it's risky. Being a devoted follower of Christ means that we are willing to go to places and engage ourselves in ways that risk our heart. Now, for some of you, God's going to call you to be on the mission field. And for some of you, he's going to call you to places that maybe there is danger involved. And that could be part of your journey. But for most of you, again, in this room, that's not going to be part of your story. But it doesn't mean that he's not going to ask you to take chances. Because when he asks us to stop, he's always going to ask us to go. And when he asks us to go, he always asks us to act. Uncommon love always acts. It always acts. And when the Holy Spirit causes us to feel something, it always leads to going somewhere, requiring personal sacrifice somehow. And let me, let me share this thought with you. Kingdom costs always far exceed worldly standards. Kingdom costs always far exceed worldly standards. If we're not careful, we will grow up even as devoted followers of Christ, with a certain mindset and a certain mentality that who we are and what we have belongs to ourselves. But the moment we make a vow of devotion to Christ, this is what I was alluding to a little bit earlier in the worship wrap-up, is that for some people, their journey to full devotion to Christ, it takes years. Not this idea of whether or not you're going to heaven. That happens as soon as we make a vow of devotion to Christ and become a believer. But there's a long journey from heaven being promised to us after we die and getting to a place of full devotion to him this side of eternity. And where it really turns for people is when they come to a place of realizing that all that they are and all that they have belongs to him. Especially in Western culture, we have such a sense of entitlement. And that sense of entitlement competes with the sense of belonging that we're supposed to have. I was reading just this morning, and it was in, 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 in Scripture where, where Paul's talking about, and he's writing to the church of Corinth, and he, and he talks about this idea is, that, is that, that we should view ourselves as belonging to God under the, under the same in the same way that a person who is a slave to another person understands their existence. Are, are you kidding me? So many times in the Pauline epistles, he reaches for the part of history that could arguably the ugliest part of history is the part of history, even in certain places today, where it was commonplace to own other people. And Paul says, I'm going to use that as a an analogy to help people understand their relationship with God because that's the kind of totality that full devotion demands and requires. It makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? But inside of me and inside of you, there is a longing. And we satisfy that longing so often not through a deeper pursuit of independence. And Paul says... Don't give in to that deception and that lie. Because that longing inside of you that you, that you that you want to see satisfied is only going to be completely fulfilled when you're willing to step into a place 
of belonging to the one who created you fully and completely, holding nothing back. I think one of the reasons why the Bible uses being a child as another analogy for what it means to walk in full devotion is because there is a helplessness to childhood. Is that they are unable to resist the person who was in charge of them to the point that they're when they're really young, they're so naive that they don't even realize that they have a will to want for something different. And so people like Jesus come along and say to us, that's what I want your heart to be like with me. And when we get to a place in our, in our life in full devotion to Christ where there's this place of absolute surrender, when he causes us to stop, which brings us to a moment of going, which always produces a moment of acting, when it costs us something, there's not hesitation because what it costs us, we don't even see as our own anymore. We see it as his. What if somebody came to you and said, this year for Christmas, I want you to spend my money on your family? My guess is you might spend a little bit more if you were spending money that belonged to someone else. And I think what God says to you and to me is the resources that he's put into our possession even though it feels like it belongs to us, it never stopped belonging to him. And there's going to be times where he asks us to give it in measures that are uncommon as how you find generosity expressed in the rest of the world. But if it's him that's speaking to us, it should come without reluctance because we realize it's not ours to begin with. You see, the way this parable, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. The way this parable begins is by a person who is a religious person asking for clarification for who is supposed to be their neighbor because they don't want to give in this life, not just through material resource, by way of their own heart and emotion, that they don't want to sacrifice beyond what's expected. Bishop Claude Alexander has a great insight on this verse in Luke 10, 29, where it says, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And this is what Bishop Alexander says. Jesus is always challenging us to stop looking for reasons to restrict our effort. Instead, look for opportunities to expand our impact. Let me read it to you again. Jesus is always challenging us to stop looking for reasons to restrict our effort. Instead, look for opportunities to expand our impact. Stand with me. Father, I pray that you would rescue us from an idea 
that has plagued many of us for far too long, that Christianity is about being good or that Christianity is about being better. Because when we look throughout your scripture, we know that that couldn't be further from the truth. That what you ask of us is to be exceptional. What you ask of us is to be uncommon. What what you ask of us is to love in ways, to forgive in ways, to give in ways, to act in ways, and to serve in ways that are far beyond human impulse and even human understanding. Father, as we look back into history 2,000 years, those early disciples, they turned the world upside down, not because they were good. They turned the world upside down because they were exceptional. And they weren't exceptional because you made them better people. They were exceptional because they were willing to take greater risks. They were exceptional because they were willing to sell out in such a way that they gave their lives to your mission and to your purposes so fully that the appetite that they found for you transcended every other desire in their life. So I pray, God, for all of us who call City Life Church our home, for everyone who's visiting from out of town tonight, that we would move forward into this coming year. We would move forward into this holiday season with an expectation that, Holy Spirit, that you're going to give us pause, that there's going to be moments where we stop and where we go and where we act in ways that some of us have never done before. For your name's sake and for your glory, in Jesus' name, let's worship together.